0: Welcome to 242, a podcast of the Buffalo Vineyard Church, where we discuss topics that matter to our lives as students of Jesus. I'm talking today with Kim Harley about education. This is episode 17. We start by discussing students who hate school and attempt to answer the question, why does education matter in the first place? We discuss some of the problems with our educational system, And we look for God at work in the educational process and in our schools. We also talk about spiritual education in the church and attempt to ask the question, what can churches learn from schools and from educators? We also talk a bit about Kim's educational philosophy and the idea of a student-centered approach to education. I hope you enjoy. All right, Kim. Hmm. Why? All right, preface. And I'm not just going to ask the question. I, I already told you I was going to ask this question. The question is why does education matter? But I, I told you I hated school my whole life until I was probably, I think it was like my junior year of college. I was like, wait a minute, hmm. this is actually kind of enjoyable. And then I graduated and I was done. Oh, and then also bad. as a parent, I've had some real frustrations with school over the years. So at coming, you know, as, as this like wounded student mm. <laughs> who yeah. hated school, uh, convince me why it's important, why, you know, cause you, you're somebody who's devoted a good chunk of your life to teaching and to the educational system. Why, yeah. why, why would you do such a thing?
1: Oh man. Well, number one for the kids, mm. like. I be, To help kids not have the attitude that you have, to not feel like that, to not hate it. And I think, you know, that's so tragic that that happens and it's so common mm. that it happens. Um, because clearly we need to be educated, right? To move forward, to grow, um, to be successful, to thrive, to, and in anything, not just professions and all of our relationships. I mean, education is... Just full on, you know, whole that whole, um, whole child focus is legit. And I think if you are in a school or with teachers who really make that their priority in the classroom, like, yeah, it's about the curriculum. But in, in my opinion, no, it's not. It's about everything else that goes on in that room.
0: So talk, talk more about that when you say whole child.
1: So yeah. not just what you're trying to pour into them, you know, concepts knowledge whatever um but their whole being who they are what do they like you know why do they like it when you start to take a personal interest in a kid or a student whatever age whatever age um then is when when i think about the relationships that i've had with students and why they formed it was because i took a personal interest in them and I made them feel valuable, right? Yeah. I made them feel safe and comfortable to share who they were and what they liked and what, what what excited them. You know, okay, well, let's bring this in the classroom. How can we bring this in the classroom? And enlisting them in the lessons, right? That's a big key to keeping a kid from hating going to school, you know? How,
0: how often did you have kids in your class that hated school?
1: mm mm-hmm. I mean, you, I would say every, every year there's always one that you can tell. And so, you know, that I would set my sights on that kid. Hmm. Right. I think about um, even my most recent experience at my small school, I was in the upper school college and career counselor and I taught a class junior seminar, which um, was a junior in high school. Right. Yeah. So I worked with them in junior seminar and then helped them apply to colleges in their senior year. Well, we started it pretty much in the junior year timeline, too. But um, this one kid, he was like the tough guy on campus, hated all the teachers. All the teachers were against him. You know, nobody understood him. He came in my class, and I thought, oh, my goodness, He's going to chew me alive because my previous experience had been fifth grade. Most of my time has been fifth grade. And then I did middle school math and then in the upper school. So I really thought that, you know, I was like, oh man. So he would just counter back everything I was saying, like, you know, this is bull crap. You know, he would say, because I'm trying to teach them things like, you know, how, you know, if you're going to choose a career, how you do job interviews, how you, you know, handle yourself, whatever. We talked about finances, okay, all sorts of stuff in that class. I love it's like a life 101 class. Love it, yeah. Not just for college, um, but the combination of that, and and he wasn't even clear about what he wanted to do, um, but he was working as a mechanic. And the more I got to know him and relate what he was doing and help him kind of see where he could go with that, Mm. he started to form a plan. um, And he stopped pushing back at me. And then I heard, and I shared my story with him. This is what was critical for him. I shared my story that I went back to school as an adult, that I didn't hit the ground running after high school and go to college and land my flowery career. It wasn't all the perfect little picture and because he had no tolerance for that. You know, he's like, that doesn't happen for everyone. I'm like, you're right. It didn't happen for me. Mm. Um, and so I heard later that this is when I knew I had hooked him. He would be at the lunch table and they were saying, you know, well, Miss Harley went to University of Richmond. And he would say, No, she didn't, not at first. And she didn't go when she graduated high school. She started out at community college because that's where he wanted to go. Yeah. You know? And so this tough guy started to just turn around. He would come hang out in my office, okay. talk to me, ask advice. Came back on a Friday night after school to have an interview with a um, a person for this um, autom- automotive mechanic school. You know, so he started to see his vision and realize. He didn't have to fit the mold of everybody in the classroom. It was okay. Yeah. And he didn't have to be mad at everybody because he didn't fit the mold. Right. So, um, yeah, he, they, those are my kids. I can think back. I can see their faces every year. I would pick that kid to try to reach, you know,
0: was it, uh, so was it the same in, so what I just heard you, the story I just heard you tell is there was this kid who really didn't like school and that really what, what ended up changing that was your attempt to just build a rapport with him and like a connection. Would you say that that's always what it took to break through to get kids to like school or was it different for different kids?
2: Oh,
1: I say it would be different things. I think those, I think because for me, um, one of the things you asked me was what do you love about being an educator? And Mm -hmm. my first answer was relationships with kids. Mm. So I'm always going to lean to seeing that. But, no, sometimes there are kids that they don't want that. They're at arm's length, and you're their teacher, and that's it. But then maybe they're the ones that are like, they're bored. Maybe they're bored, you know? And I think that's where you start to talk about all the hats of a teacher, right? You're going to be this person that is interpersonal and delving into these relationships, or you're going to be this energetic person that's bringing the curriculum alive, right? And then those kids are going to be like, oh, wait, okay. So we're not just going to sit here and read this. And then you're going to ask me a multiple choice test to regurgitate what you just told me. We're going to actually do it, you know, hands on. So I think it speaks to trying to help the kid not hate school is give them a reason to show up, you Mm. know, yeah, make them be excited to come, which we can talk about like that's church too, right? Right. Yeah, we will get there. Right. Um." (laughs) That and, you know, still trying to cultivate the relationship, but also respecting those boundaries if that's not the way in. And so I think that Mm -hmm. speaks a lot to how much energy and effort teaching takes. But at the heart of that is you've got to get to know the kids. You've got to watch each one and figure out what they need. Yeah. And that's easy in a small school. You know, that's easy in a small classroom. Yeah. But when you have thirty kids, that's
0: right. hard. Thirty kids and whatever five or six classes, or yeah. yeah.
1: But I think it's you know looking for that. Why? Why do they hate it? Mm-hmm. You know what about it do they hate?
0: I know for me growing up, I was I, I enjoyed re- some good relationships with teachers, but I, so I still remember Mr. Ortiz, who I'm sure he will never listen to this podcast. But <laughs> if he if you are listening, I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> so he was. He was like an assistant wrestling coach. So I knew him a little bit through sports um, and had a really good rapport with him. And I didn't, I, I didn't, long story short, I didn't have him until my junior year in class. And so I showed up in his class and he was like, oh, this will be great. I got Shank in my class. We'll have this good. And like, we had a great rapport. He, ha- he, pulled me aside like a month and he's like, I love you. I hate having you in my class. You're oh, like wow. the worst student, but I, so I I was fine with like connections. I just hated school. Hmm. It was like the most incredibly boring, painful, you know.
1: Painful, like the workload you didn't, did you feel, did you not value the assignments?
0: Yeah. There was never anything that seemed to be meaningful to me ever once in school. It was like, why am I doing this? Every now and then there'd be like this Like I remember, I think it was in seventh grade, we did Greek mythology and I was like, oh, this is fun. Mm. Um, Most of my reading, so I I was a voracious reader as a kid. I read constantly. I mean, even to the point where my parents actually took the books out of my room because I was too busy reading instead of doing homework or chores or other things, right? So Mm. I read constantly and somehow my English teachers my whole life managed to assign the worst books that I couldn't, it was like, this is a... I mean, I still even remember, all right, now, now, now I'm on yeah. a, I'm going to soapbox yeah. here. All right. So I, I think junior year or sophomore year, we had to read Lord of the Flies, mm-hmm. right? Which I know that's a sign in a lot of, and, um, you know, so I read the first few chapters, really liked it and then showed up for a classroom discussion on it and was completely turned off by the class. I was like, no, 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 no. It's not about symbol. It's just about these kids killing each other. Like I just wanted to read <laughs> like an adventure story and. They turned it into something. I just hated all of that. Mm. And I don't know how much of that is my fault and how much of that is the teacher's fault and how much of that is, I don't know, just an unhappy accident.
1: I think it's all of that. Yeah. You know, and yeah, I think, you know, a big thing in education is student choice, too. You mm. know, I think that we... I mean, I hear you say that and you look at these curriculums and so oftentimes it's like, okay, in your junior year, you're going to read this, this, and this, your senior year. Well, why can't we look at why can't we tell you what we want you to be getting out of this reading Mm. and let you choose what you read? And the answer is, it's a lot more work on the teacher. Yeah, But there are ways to figure that out. And I think that that style of teaching and that planning is could help that yeah you know? no for sure because you're like okay well I want to read this and it's you know what I mean
0: no I so um I always had a really good vocabulary I again, I read like crazy but I I never really did much write. like I in in high school like writing assignments I didn't do well at mm. um and then my my freshman year of college whatever the composition class was. I don't remember what it was called, but I failed it. Mm-hmm. And, um, I took a class second semester and it was like, I still, I actually looked this, this professor up like 10 years after college and wrote her a thank you letter awesome. because she, she specialized in teaching second semester composition to students who had failed first semester composition, And that's like all she did. And all we did was, um, you know, Pick a topic, whatever you want and write an essay on it and then you'll bring it in and I'll, you know, we'll just keep redrafting it. And it was, it was really cool because I could talk about whatever I wanted and, and she got me in invested in trying to say something. And then she was actually helping me to say what I wanted to say better. And literally that, that was like a switch. I love to write and I didn't know that I love to write and I love to communicate and I didn't know that I love to communicate and I'm actually good at it. And I didn't know that I could be. And like, she, she helped unlock that in me precisely because she did what you're talking about, which is like, well, so you don't want to be here, but what do you want to be doing? You don't want to say this, but what do you want to say?
1: Yeah. So that answers the question. Why is education important? Yes, it does. there. But I mean, that's beautiful.
0: (laughs) No, it totally does.
1: Yeah. I mean, we were doing that in fifth grade. It was Mm -hmm. like, you know, okay, writing. And I was in an all boys school. Most of them did not want to write, and we were heavy into that and Mm. um, because of big-time college prep school, and we were going to read and write. Um, But I think that's when I first started recognizing the importance of choice and watching these fifth graders just pour onto the page, you know, and then we could address the, um, you know, the mechanics of writing, because we th- we had the material to work with, and it was their material, so there was an invested interest in that.
0: No, Critical. yeah, that's that's cool. What? So, hmm. I feel like there's more there to talk about because I feel like that. Um, well, and and so maybe back to to a question that I already asked before. So there's there there's like the strategy of like getting to know students, but then there's this other strategy of like getting students invested in their own education and helping them to make the connection between what, what they are required to do in the classroom and what they actually want to do in their life. Right. Like helping to make that connection explicit. I mean, how much of, how much of it is actually about that? Like how much of that is like the real problem of getting students to, so we talked about this before, right? There's like people like my daughter who, and your daughter Mm -hmm. who they're just going to succeed. And so you don't, you, even if they're bored out of their mind, they're going to get all A's. Right. Right. Um, even if they don't like you, they're going to get all A's. <laughs> they're yeah. just going to get yeah. all A's. But then there was people like me, Um. you know, and I don't, you, you didn't say Mark, but we'll throw Mark under the bus. So yeah. people like Mark, Ooh. I don't, I don't know if he was like that or not, but where it's like, no, 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 there's, there's some, like there's some work that's got to be done to get this kid engaged in the educational process. I mean, how much of it is that getting them to see the value in what what the educational process is. Is that like, is that at the heart of what it takes to kind of like get a kid to really buy in?
1: Yeah. For Mark, it was art. Mm. I mean, Oh my word. Sorry, Mark. Yeah. yeah. We're going to talk about Mark for the next 20 minutes. for a little bit. It was, it was tough. And then, and I really think, um, as his parent and going through that process, as we were talking, I, I went and got my, you know, my education degree later. And didn't even know I wanted to be a teacher. But watch going through that experience with Mark. His teacher set a great example for me because and we had some crazy conferences. We're not we were not on the same page with all of the teachers. Um, Okay, even though that was our that was our philosophy as parents, I guess you would say. We always said that we would start the conversation beside the teacher, like on the teacher side, our kids knew that we were, we were on, we were on their team, you know, now we, you know, of course our kid came first, but right. we weren't going to play that game, you know, I and mean, that's
0: part of what it means to put your kids first is to help them understand on a proper respect for authority. And, right. Yep.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, but then there were times when teachers recommended certain actions that we knew when he would not respond to. Um, And so that's when you have to have those, you know, those tough conversations and say, well, hold on a minute. You know, I know my kid and this is not the way to go. But for (laughs) Mark, he will totally shut down and it'll be over. But, um, yeah, so for him, when he got to high school, same thing. He, this art teacher, I mean, once he found that passion, all of his, all of his grades went up. He, yeah. he put that drive and that energy because all of a sudden he realized, oh, wait a minute, learning, you know, I'm learning about something I love, you know, responsibility, life. There comes I, these other things that I have to learn about too. Yeah. But I think he also started making connections in those other subjects to his art, right? Yeah. So once I think a student begins to weave those threads between how things can connect or how they can make them connect for their own, you know, reason, yeah. you know, like watching him learn to write. I mean, he's become such a great writer mm-hmm. and a lot of that came from the art, the artistic process. Yeah. Um, so I do think helping a kid find their passion is super important. It doesn't mean it's going to be their vocation, Right. You know, but something that they're passionate right. about. Because
0: cause a 10-year-old doesn't know anything about <laughs> no. anything, especially themselves.
1: Right. Yeah, you know, 10. but if you, you know, something that they're passionate about.
0: Something they think they're passionate about. Exactly.
1: <laughs> you know, they like in the moment. But, um, yeah, I definitely think hmm. you've, you you got to hone in on that. And I really did see it change, Mark, as a student, as a person, um. And you talk about how you read and read and read. Mm-hmm. Mark wouldn't read. I offered to pay him one time $10 a chapter to read a book. Now, have you seen his books now? Yeah, his, yeah he's a reader. Oh, my goodness. Huh. That, he, he did not take the money. He did not read. And That's so, funny. You know, he's like,
0: I'll take that deal.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I'd be broke, you know, if he did that. But So he had to figure it out for himself, and that yeah. was a lesson for me. I can't bribe him to want to do that. That's fascinating.
0: Yeah. So sidebar on that, on that topic. So I read insane amounts of books and big ones and adult, adult books or not, you know, you know what I mean? Like adult level. I'm, I read like sci-fi and stuff like that. So I guess that's adult books too. But, um, my brother, so my younger brother, I think the only thing he read cover to cover before high school was like a sports illustrated magazine. He just would not read. Right. And then, um, his sophomore year of high school, do you know who James Clavell is, the author? Mm. He writes um, mostly historical fiction set in Asia. Oh, okay. uh, have you ever seen the miniseries Shogun? It was like this 16-hour miniseries. Anyway, the book is like maybe 1,200 pages. It's this monster book. Yeah, um, And I had read most, if not all, of his books at this point. And so my brother had never read a book cover to cover, walked into my bedroom at 16, pulled out Shogun, read the whole thing, Wow. Put it back on a shelf and never read another book till after he
2: graduated oh college. Oh my gosh!
0: <laughs> so he's a smart guy. He's capable yeah. of reading. Oh, just yeah. had like no interest in it. Right. But now he reads. Like he, I mean, he got a master's degree in history and he's wow.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. But so it's same deal. I don't, who, you never know what's going to get the ball rolling.
1: No. Well, and, and the the other example I have of that is that at this all boys school when I taught fifth grade on Fridays. They, there was reading time in the mm. schedule. So like my first week that I was teaching there, Fridays is 2 o'clock from 2 to 2.30. Everybody reads. The whole school reads okay, quiet. And so they're like taking off their shoes. They're getting all comfy. They're all around the room. It's like 18 boys in my room. And my brother taught at that school also. So mm. I'm watching this happen. Now, I had come from the public school. We didn't. We did not have that built-in no. time. <laughs> no
0: reading time in the public no, school. Right? Yeah, that that didn't happen in my school. No.
1: Yet. So I'm I'm like emailing my brother, and I'm like, "What is happening <laughs> in my classroom?" Because I had this son who didn't want to read, and now I'm watching 18 boys yeah. reading. I mean, and like reading legitimate material yeah. of their choice.
0: Yeah, not the cat in the hat.
1: No. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't very. Mm. I don't know. Impressive, inspiring.
0: Right. So that, I mean, so clearly the school cultivated that, yep. but also what, like when there's a culture, then people get inculturated into it without being, it takes a really, um, what's what I'm looking for? Like, a a strong anti, um, uh, like, a th- there's a term for it. What's the term? When somebody's like just against stuff, contrarian. There we go. It takes like a real contrarian person to to walk into an environment like that and just sit in oh, the corner true. with their their arms folded right. and not that's engaged. True. That's so, true. so like that's really cool to see that. Yeah, just to see which you know you would think that that's what classrooms would be and what schools would be is places where there's just a strong, enculturated value for education where people are showing up. And they're passionate about learning things and, you know, because again, that's the environment that the school and the teacher has cultivated. Right. But that's definitely not my experience. And it sounds like from your perspective, that is a unique experience that most students don't actually
1: get. No. And that's, you know, that's the heartbreaking part.
0: Right. You know, why, 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 why is it like that?
1: Well, at what's, that wrong? School, what's wrong? What's wrong with our school system,
0: and can hmm. can you fix it for yeah, us?
1: Yeah, I can't fix it, but you know, <laughs> but you could tell us what's wrong. You ask me that question, <laughs> and sadly, that was my like my longest note taking. Mm. Um. Oh, well. When I think about, you know, what's wrong with that, or so at that school, of course, tuition was crazy high. Mm. And we've got the haves and the have-nots, right? right. I mean, there was some scholarship, sure, yeah, but and ultimately, I I did leave that school because I I just couldn't stay in that environment. No, you know, I went from public school to that private school, um, and then to another small private school. But that was a school that really helped kids with learning differences, you know. So I that to me was different mm-hmm. the the yeah, tuition sure. was is high and it's high for a reason we have 6 to 8 kids in a classroom Oh wow that's so, incredibly focused Right yeah um so going from you know 30 kids in the public school 18 sometimes 14 in the private to then that and all three very different experiences mm-hmm. um and I was in a pretty affluent county school in my public experience. So I didn't really see all that was going on in the county, but I, I'm aware of it, right? Yeah. I was aware of it. And just the the resource, the lack of resources or just the different skill level and skill levels and commitment level? to, of teachers. So that's what I was going to ask. Skill yeah. levels of the teachers or yeah. skill levels of the students? Well, both because they're ultimately – ultimately the result of that. Right. So I think, yeah, I think, you know, money's a big problem. I think money and the people spending the money, I just want to know how they're figuring out how they're spending the money.
0: Mm -hmm. So, you know, what's interesting and I, um, I don't have any idea what, like what to make of this and also how, there's probably like more that goes into this. So this, this is just a statistic without a ton of context, but I do know that, um, if you compare, uh, per student spending in the different districts in New York state, what you find is that regularly the most, um, the most well-funded districts are the poorest performing districts. It's really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I'm sure that there's more to that, you know, like maybe, maybe like some of the, the richer counties or districts, there's a ton of like private funds being funneled into like football fields and stuff that don't get, I, I don't know. You know what I mean? Right. But when you look at, at per student district spending, like, so the city of, city of Buffalo public schools, they're like, like a good chunk higher than you know, like, uh, uh, Lancaster or some of the school districts that you would think of as like the richer school districts. Yeah. So I don't, again, I don't really know what to make of that. I'm not, uh, you know.
1: Yeah. So, the, I mean, I, I would say, I, I would say that's one of the reasons I left that private school, right? Yeah. I started to look outside and I'm like, wow, we're spending an awful lot of money on landscaping.
2: Sure. Yeah. I get
1: that, but I'm also, you know, I had kids at that school that were struggling and needed academic supports. You know, it wasn't, yeah. it, it was a little bit of everything Right. at that school. And I just began to see, and I'm talking about crazy amounts of money. And I loved that school. I don't say this to, to speak poorly of the school. I loved it. But my brother and I both left for part of that reason, mm. is you see all this money and not, not, it's not money that's impacting the kid in the seat. Right. And so, and that's what I'm hearing you say too. Like it seems to me that why can't they figure out number one, it should be spent on some teacher salaries. You know, I firmly believe that. Um, I think that our school system's failing because there's a lack of respect for the profession. They don't make enough money. Mm. Now we have teacher shortages because of that. We have classrooms that are overflowing yeah. You can't do all those cool things I talked about in the beginning. You can't get to know your kids. You can't sure. have come in every day on fire with engaging lessons because you've got disciplinary issues. Sure, yeah. I mean, when I think about my so my second year in public school, so we had the No Child Left Behind, the Every Student Success. Do you have thoughts about that? Oh, I'm not even going there. <laughs> so i'm not gonna go there right. i can't do it this is gonna turn into oh. a prayer meeting right yeah oh man <laughs> okay second year. i have
0: i have thoughts and opinions about well, i'd
1: love to hear yours yeah.
0: no, i mean yeah we could talk we can talk on I mean, it on on on, uh, on record or off either way okay. but yeah yeah maybe anyway off. but you
1: yeah. <laughs> but yeah so um oh. yeah so my second year second year teaching and i have five students on the autism spectrum An emotionally disturbed student and the school-based gifted children. So about five of them in there. Wait. In my classroom. You
0: said school-based gifted children. Mm -hmm. So you had like both ends of the spectrum in a single classroom? Yep. Why?
1: Yep. In my opinion, I think that they were thinking, well, those kids will do okay anyway. If she has to direct her. No, I had lots of support. I had so much support in the classroom. Sometimes I thought I could count more aides and teacher assistants than students.
0: This was in the public school? Yep. And I so this was, like, what was driving that, Paul? Who, who was making that decision?
1: Well, I think the county, I think it started, you know, of course, No Child Left Behind, and then coming down into the state and down into the county, and so these
0: so we can infer what you think about no child left behind at this <laughs> yes, point already. You can.
1: <laughs> yes, you can. We
0: probably agree with our assessment of that.
1: Yeah. So they, the, like my autistic students whom I loved having in my classroom, I loved it and they didn't stay all day. So it was, my room was like a rotating door, honestly. And so they would come in for certain parts of the day and then go into their own classroom, right. For other parts. um, their teacher would come in and co-teach with me, but yet I'm planning all the lessons. I cried every day when I got home. I was so tired and I was new to the profession, you know, and and they say if you make it through three years, a teacher will typically stay. And that was my second year. And I thought, I'm not going to
2: make it. Yeah.
1: You know, I did. I stuck it out, but, um, yeah, it was crazy. And I had, the school psychologist in there. I mean, it was just constantly, but to go back to your question, I've the ones that the school based gifted, meaning that they weren't in the center based gifted program, right. They didn't go to an, uh, you know, another satellite location to be in a more specialized Mm
2: -hmm. program,
1: but they were, and we could have a whole conversation about this whole gifted identification system. Um, that's what I discovered is looking through the questions. I'm like, there's so many things broken. Um, but I feel like I felt like they were the ones that missed the most. Right. Because they, like you said, you know, if you're driven and you're going to make an a, you're going to make an a, no matter what the teacher says. And those kids did great, but I could have taken them to the next level. And sometimes I tried when I could focus on them. Right. But when you're trying to balance that many balls up in the, you know in the sky at one time somebody's dropping right. and i feel like they were the ones that got dropped the most
0: oh yeah well and i know i mean so the, so i was in gifted and talented education when i was little yeah um and um i and i i would say that i if it weren't for sports i would have fallen through the cracks for sure mm. and so i like i was not driven in school the way like my daughter it sounds like your daughter was even though I was capable of, like I was smart and capable of learning and, but, but I wasn't driven. I was, I was driven for sports. (laughs) Right. And so I would imagine that while there are plenty of those like gifted students who will succeed no matter what, there are also a lot of them that will fail if they're not actually challenged. Right. So, which that was definitely me.
1: Yeah. See. And so then you're not going to like it. That no. makes sense that you're not going to like it. Yeah, no, I hated it. I mean, I can picture in my head those kids in that class. Um, oddly enough, I did get one of those kids in that class, and she was a bright student. Reached out to me on Facebook not too long ago mm. to tell me that she's studying to be a teacher. That's cool. Those are the moments that yeah. you're like, oh, thank goodness, because you when you were, you know, you're thinking, oh, did I do enough for you? Yeah. And then you hear back and you're like, okay, I did. All right. Yeah. And like the one I was talking about, the tough guy on campus, he yeah. actually he finished his mechanics program and joined the Marines mm. and texts me frequently. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Like he stays in touch. Yep. And because I, you know, he, he knew unconditionally I'm here for you. Yeah. And it sounds like you have a little bit of that too. You know, when, yeah, no,
0: there's, I mean, so that one, that one professor I talked about, but there's another one really that, um, was, it was my second semester, my junior year of college. So it was, I literally only had three semesters left. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, it was, I was finally getting to the point where I started being able to take classes because I wanted to take them, you know? So I've been in in school for 15 years and I finally get to like actually choose what I want to learn. Um, and, uh, I was ba- basically, I was a political science major and, um, there was a, a class in environmental politics and I'm like, well, that's a, that's a, an area of, um, politics that I don't actually know a ton about. I don't have a lot of formed opinions. So I'll take that class and see what I can learn. And the professor's name was Greg Colley. He taught Socratically and it was, it changed up until that, it was kind of like, well, school is what you do so that you can get the piece of paper so you can go to work mm-hmm. and education is what you do on your own with, with books without, yeah. you know, independent of school. And then it was like, w- when I took that class, it, it they, they aligned. Mm-hmm. Oh, you could learn in school. Right. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> and then I took, I took another of his classes and then I did an independent study with him. Um, and I also took a few other classes that I really enjoyed that mm-hmm. were in like similar fields or, and yeah, just like everything clicked and it was like, and then I graduated and I was done.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's sad, yeah. right? That's so I, d- so I definitely
0: had like this three semester period where I was really having a ton of fun with school. You know, yeah. I get to take some, I mean, even like I took a film class, a philosophy of film class mm-hmm. that I still think about to this day, you know, like I had some really fun classes that I really enjoyed. Um, but it was very, very late in my educational career.
1: Yeah, and that speaks to the broken system, right? We're like, okay, like even for me, I went to community college to, to get my um, general ed credits, right? Mm-hmm. Get all those classes out of the way. Mm-hmm. You know what? Why do we design it like that?
0: Oh man, don't get me So This, right? this, this is <laughs> all right. Here's here's this is one of my <laughs> one of my uh, soapboxes. All right. So every intro level class that I took in college was designed to essentially be so if. You couldn't have designed the class better if you had actually organized it this way. All right. So we're going to teach an intro to biology class. What are the most boring elements of the discipline of biology? And then let's require students to spend a semester mm-hmm. digging into that. Like the, That's right. literally what all these one-on-one classes are is right. memorization of basic facts. And whereas instead, what you should do is let's let's create a semester long commercial for our discipline what are the coolest most exciting things about biology and then let's front load that like what what could hook a student right. to become a biologist yep. and let's let's invite them to do that their first year of college yep but yep. instead we do the opposite
1: right it's like well, what are we doing right
0: anyway I don't. that's yeah. one of my no, that's
1: beautifully put exactly yeah. right
0: But yeah, I don't,
1: I don't. Yeah. And why is that? I don't know. Why? I'm
0: asking you the questions here. You don't get to ask me questions.
1: (laughs) I think it's because no, I think, I think the answer is it's just like what you see in schools, right? Mm. With administrators, they forget what it's like to be in the classroom. And I think these people designing, like we need to, you're supposed to start plan your lessons beginning with the end in mind, right? Mm. You know, you're going to backwards design, what do i want to accomplish how am i going to get there how am i going to know that i got there right well when when we look at higher ed they're not doing that at all mm-hmm. and I, and that that baffles me you know and i guess because these people making the dis, like ha, these people making these decisions have they been in a classroom lately because mm-hmm. i see that like i feel like when you break that down to all the levels of education I am a firm believer that all administrators should teach at least one class. Hmm. you got to be in the classroom. Well, maybe you know they should
0: attend one class.
1: Even going. <laughs> at least stop by. You know, it's true. Yeah. That's a big problem. Hmm. You know, other than for like in the public school, it was more prevalent with the like multi-copy sheet of checking all the boxes when they come in to observe you. Right. But is that really for the reason of seeing... What is the reason behind that? They're really looking at me. Right. They're not really looking at, oh, wow, how's my school doing? Yeah. You know, what, what what's happening with these kids? What are they getting? It's all part of a process, like a check the box process. Yeah. Now, oddly enough, in the independent schools, I didn't get observed hardly at all. Huh. And that's but, a problem.
0: Yeah, sure. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: That's a problem. You should not assume that it's all going the way it should go. Mm. And then I beca- then I joined the or was asked to serve on the strategic planning committee, and then my eyes were so open to the problems in the process because yeah. these administrators are going to these conferences. I wonder if this happens in the church too. Like they go to these <laughs> conferences and they see all these crazy things going on. They're yeah. great. And then they bring them all back and right. they think that we can get it all done, but they don't know what's happening in their classrooms to even know if it's a fit. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. That definitely happens in the church.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. You gotta have, I mean, it's great. You want to get right. ideas and collaborate and, and come back excited and try new things, but it's gotta be the right fit. It's yeah. gotta be reasonable and feasible and not, what happens then your teachers get worn out because it's constant change, 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 something new, something new, something new. You never perfect your craft.
0: No, that's, I think that's, that's a good thing to be cognizant of in all sorts of settings. Yeah. Well, so that kind of brings up a question that I wanted to ask too, is just where, like, where do you see, where have you seen and where do you see God at work in like your work as a teacher in the school system? And, um, and actually, yeah. So you, you were in private schools. I don't know if there were Christian schools or not.
1: One was one wasn't. Okay.
0: And I'm, so I'm, I'm like, I'm happy to have you answer the question from the perspective of like, Oh, well, where is like, you know, where is Christian faith or scripture or something or prayer, you know, like in a Christian setting, where is that? But that's not really what I'm thinking about. What I'm more thinking about is just, You know, where did you see God at work in the actual educational process itself of like, you know, you helping somebody learn to read or learn, you know, like where, where, because I would imagine you would say that you had some sense of, you know, I don't know if you'd use the word vocation or calling or whatever, but you did have some sense of like, oh, I'm, I'm doing something that I think is actually contributing to what God wants done in the world simply by teaching whatever subject matter I'm teaching. Right. You would say that? Yeah. yeah. So how do you see God at work in that? Or how did you, or how have you?
1: Well, you know, my, my funny story about how I felt called to do it was when I was going back to get these, um, Mm -hmm. general ed credits and I didn't have a plan to be a teacher. I was like, I just wanted to get my degree because I had not gotten it um when I graduated high school. It was just a personal goal. So I'm like, I'm just gonna do this, figure out where it leads me, you know, pay attention to God's talking and what am I gonna do? So um I got this three hour a day job at a school mm. being the attendance person.
2: <laughs> was this at one Super
1: of your kids' fun. schools? No, I, I, they forbid uh, me to do that. Your, your, your yeah. kids did or yeah. the, the yeah. children, they were like, don't work at our school. So know, I went like, to
0: school where my mom taught. Oh, you did? Yeah. It was, it was horrible. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah I think it would, be I love my mom. Yeah. I, I hate it. No, she loved it. Oh yeah. My dad loved it. I hated it.
1: Yeah. I could yeah. see that. Totally. Yeah. Anyway. So you were working. Yeah. Not, so I did not that. Not your kids school. Yeah. yeah. Not at their school. And so while I'm getting in and then I was like, and so part of my job before I went home, I had lunch duty. And my lunch duty was during the kindergartner's time to mm. eat lunch. And so I would come home and I would say to my husband, Eric, I'm like, I love lunch duty. <laughs> and it's like opening the ketchup packets <laughs> and, you know, they're raising their hands and helping them and just just serving them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And he was like. You just like, got to be a mom to like. I did whatever, get to be a mom. You know, but in the school setting. And I was yeah. like, you know, it gave me a chance to kind of spy on the whole school setting and just see if mm. that felt right to me. And it, and yeah. it really did. But he was like, if you like lunch duty, you should really think about being a teacher. He's like, nobody Mm -hmm. likes lunch duty, you know. (laughs) Something's wrong with you, (laughs) you know. And so I was like, okay. And then the Lord really opened the pathways for me to switch. I mean, to go to University of Richmond, get into their um, teacher program and so on. And then I actually went and became a teacher's aide at that school, Okay. you know, and did that. But um, so I would say... Yeah, at the, at the Episcopal school that I went to, I definitely saw it, God at work. Or mo- mostly it was that I got to experience God on the job, right? Yeah. I mean, like we had all, all school chapel and we knelt to pray. And it was yeah. it, coming from the public school to that. It was just fabulous, yeah. you know. But in the public school, I think where I really saw God work is... Um, if you pay attention to your students, you will identify all kinds of needs. Yeah. You know, and I'm I'm sure I overstepped many times and helped people that in ways that I probably shouldn't have done professionally, but I felt God revealing those needs to me, yeah. you know, and um Do you have a story? Yeah, I can remember this one. I can remember this one family. They were going through a divorce and You could just see the emotional trauma on the kid, you know, and I wasn't a counselor and I knew I wasn't a counselor. I didn't counsel her, but, and I think there was, um, you know, there, I think there was poverty involved and I would bring, you know, food to school and, and have that for her. But in a way that I would have it like just for anybody who didn't have a snack, do you know what I mean? Like you, when you see, and it was
0: for her, but nobody else knew it was for right. her except for you. Not yeah. even her. Right. Yeah. yeah,
1: And you know, times like that, or then, and then parent teacher conference and the, I, the mom somehow felt comfortable to talk to me and, you know, and I'm sure that's, I know that that's stepping over a professional boundary, but, um, we, but I did it, yeah, you know, because I, I just felt like God sometimes. Yeah.
0: Sometimes God uh wants us to ignore professional boundaries,
1: right? Yeah, <laughs> some not I all time, that. No. but sometimes, but yeah, and they're in mm-hmm. the you know, and so I can just remember really growing really close with their family and um, you know, just being a part of all they were going through, and it took a while, but things things definitely got better and we stayed in contact because I only had that kid for the one year you know but we stayed in contact so I've I, I can think of several times when that was the case you know and then there's the funny story of my one kid who lost her retainer <laughs> in the at lunch
2: mm-hmm.
1: I mean and she was distraught because she knew they couldn't afford a new one mm-hmm. they're like they, you know she couldn't and so I spent it was like God was like you're you need to go <laughs> dig in the trash. I didn't find it though. That's the sad thing. I I was digging in the trash, but I didn't find it. But I think that how God used me in that is that dad appreciated it. That kid appreciated it. It like said to them, I'm here for you beyond, you know, just giving you, being your teacher, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm here for you. Um, That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. What
0: about in the educational process itself? So, like, you you talked about, you know, like with the the one student being just being able to, like, make a personal connection with them that that helped them start to make, you know, personal connections to the curriculum itself. Like and start like just digging into the curriculum. And you also talked about I don't know if it was a specific example, but like helping students. Just connect their own desires and goals in life to what they're learning in the classroom. I mean, how do you see God at work in some of that stuff where it's, it's, it's not about like my relationship to the kid or it's just about education, like them learning, you know? Yeah. Where do you see God at work in that? Or do you?
1: No, I definitely do. I definitely think, um, yeah, well, I think he uses you, you know, he uses you as a teacher to, um, just to help, you know, I really feel like you can be a vessel if you're paying attention to what God's talking to you about, right? Mm. And that specific kid, um, I think that if you, if you're a Christian teacher, you know, it, it's how we live our daily lives now. Like I'm always asking Him, you know, show me how to use me, right? And so, it's not even that it's about me. Yeah. or whether my relationship, it's about even in my time prepping for my lessons, what he's yeah. revealing to me, yeah. you know, and I think that that's because he he knows what those kids need or how that might impact them, and I, I don't know that, yeah. you know, and so I, I think that if we approach, like any profession, but especially teaching, which speaks to the question you ask about, do you think we need Christians as educators or why is that important? And I think that's why, because if we are relying on the Holy Spirit to reveal to us how and why and what we're doing, I mean, we're with those kids right? many, many, many hours in the elementary setting, but even in all the grades, you know, it's multiple teachers with them, mm-hmm. you know, but that's where they are. I just think... Um, we need to be in tune with God's plan with what he wants us to show them, how to show it, what the importance of it is like real life application is super important. Like to people like you, right. And other kids, like it it doesn't even have to be about the curriculum, but even about the skills that they get from being in the classroom. So many skills that are not, I think that those are way more important than the content, personally. You know, when you're helping people learn how to get along with each other or communicate or be active listeners and um, working together on teams, just learning how to be good humans, right? Like, that's a great opportunity with a lot of time on your hands to help develop humans.
0: So, that right there is uh, an incredibly good segue to think about the and yeah I brought I brought up that book that's right we weren't we weren't talking in the recording when I brought up that book but oh, yeah um, uh, but the like thinking so education I think we oftentimes think about as um, getting the right knowledge in people's heads right that's kind of I mean, Probably most people wouldn't articulate it that way, but that is kind of the way we think about right. education is like, well, we got to teach you, we got to get, you know, here's the funnel, we're going to pour the knowledge in, and it's going to get into your brain, you know? Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, you use the word forming human beings or yeah. the phrase forming human beings, yeah. right? Which, you know, like in the church world, unfortunately, oftentimes even our discipleship process can sometimes look like, here's the funnel, and let's pour the right, you know, facts about God or the Bible into your brains. But at least we do have some sense in the church of, you know, this should be a process of formation that actually is shaping the way you act, the, your character, right? Yeah. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean the church is great at that or better at that. But I wonder how you would see, you know, so there's this process of education in a school system. There's this process of education or discipleship or formation that, that congregations are saying that they're, they're, they exist for like how would you compare and contrast those two processes yeah. or their goals or like what what does the church get right that the school system gets wrong and vice versa like mm. are they the same process you know not are they should they be the same process or should we be thinking about them as fundamentally different um, i don't know i just oh, asked like yeah. 12 questions no, so no, no, you no, can
1: <laughs> I think they should i mean i do think they they should be similar processes for mm. sure like when i hear you talk about Putting the information in, I mean, like when I think about, you know, whatever we're studying, you know, if we're studying the Civil War or whatever, you know, you can bring in that knowledge and that, I probably shouldn't have picked that topic right now, right? Um, But thinking back to my fifth grade teaching, um, you're trying to give them this information, historical facts and what happened But at the same time, it's such a great opportunity for so many other conversations. And that's what happens when we study the Bible, you know, like you, you're learning. It's so important. I think I'm a big Simon Sinek person. I always say this, you know, it's all about the why, you know, why, why are we learning this? Why do I need this background knowledge in my head to be able to, you know, have decent conversations in society and relate things to what, you know, the present in the future to the past make those connections and learn how to um navigate my world now based on that information you know but and and the bible i think is a huge you know studying the bible is a huge um similar situation where we need you know we're learning all of what's happened and what we think might happen. But I was thinking about when you, I was listening to your sermon and you talked about the commentary you read about the 77s and how there were all these questions, you Mm -hmm. know, so many questions and, and in both realms, that's the ticket, right? You've got to ask all these questions and then figure out how to answer them. And I think education in school system education and church i'm laughing at myself because i'm talking with my hands and we're Mm -hmm. not on Mm -hmm. i can't help it yeah um i'm watching there you go (laughs) you know you're asking all these questions but we also need to learn how to answer them Mm -hmm. right we need to learn how you know to think critically you know in education there are all these c's that they talk about but it's really true you know like can can you you got to think about this critically Um, and problem solving can you figure it out and what are your tools that you use to figure it out and who do you get to help you Um, and in the classroom it's teachers and other students right everybody's bringing in their own backgrounds and experiences and that's what makes a good classroom I think when you talk about the Socratic method Um, it's these conversations and in the church the same thing having these these conversations and not being afraid what i think i see as as a hindrance to really dynamic learning is the fear of looking dumb right okay. you have that in the classroom you have that in the church you know yeah. people are afraid to ask the questions because then that might reveal that i don't know something hmm. when if you ask the question it's going to reveal what you want to know, and other people are going to help you get there. And they're going to say, "Hey, I don't know that either," or "I, you know, I know this." And then you start that whole building process, right? Where it's not just about that's the best classroom pr- situation I see happening. It's not the teacher pouring the information; it's everybody working together to learn. Yeah, and what they bring, and those are my most favorite times with a lesson when I well, I love seeing the light bulb coming come on in a kid, you know, that's great. But I loved it when my light bulb would come on and I'd be like, Oh man, I never thought about it like that, Yep, you know? And I think in the church, we definitely need that too. You know, we need that safe space. And I would say, you would ask me about my philosophy of education and that was pretty cool to go back and read what I had Mm -hmm. written, but it is that safe space, you know, and, Mm -hmm. I think that speaks to the kids who are angry, you know, or like how you felt, you know, you're yeah. mad. This is boring. You know, you should be able to speak up and and have your opinion about, well, I want to learn about this or, okay, I get that we have to study this, but what about this with it? Um, but in that process, you, you are developing so many different skills that, Speak to that whole forming a human, right? You know, you've got empathy or cultural awareness and just broadening yeah. who you are. I feel like I really rambled on that.
0: No, no, that's good though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess if you were going to point at some specific things that, you know, and when I say education in the church, I don't necessarily mean like um, Bible classes. Okay. I mean more like um, <laughs> how, how, I mean, ultimately the mission of the church and of every church, uh, is helping people become more like Jesus. That yeah. really is the mission of the church. Right. Yeah. Um, which, you know, that's, that's a, that is a process of formation, right? So the goal yeah. of the church is to help, to take human beings and help them become something that they currently are not yet. Yeah. Right. Which the the function of an educator is the same thing. I mean, right. you could talk about coaching, and there's like a right. lot of different oh, yeah. kinds of like professions that all fit into that. That you know, my job is to aid another person in the process of becoming something that they aren't yet. So whether that's you know a sports coach or my brother's a you know personal trainer or um, I mean even like maybe more like nutritionist than doctor, but like there's a lot of those kinds of roles where you're coaching somebody to help them become something right Right. now, obviously a teacher is very much that. And typically in a classroom setting, it's a lot more about like learning content than maybe character formation. Whereas in the church, it's going to be a lot more, at least it ought to be a lot more about character formation, maybe than content, but, but in both there's both. Right. Um,
1: but I would say I would push back on that just from the standpoint of, yes, that is true. mm. But that was another way that I felt like God used me in the public school. I spent a ton of time on character education. I had different different ways we would learn to recognize traits in each other. We had you would vote for a kid to have, you know this one this this friend of mine exhibited kindness or mm-hmm. whatever. and we posted the results every week. So it wasn't me picking them. They yeah. were learning to identify it in each other. So that's just one example, but, Yeah, it's funny that you say that because I said that same thing when I was looking at the the questions, kind of thinking through it. Um, Yeah, the church, it is definitely focused on the character, but I also think that's a big piece that we teachers need to be doing too.
0: Yeah. Well, so you you actually answered the opposite question I was going to ask you. (laughs) The question I was going to ask you is, what are some practical things that you think the church could learn from teachers and from the educational system about how to, you know, how, how to teach people how to follow Jesus? What are some things that you're like, yeah. man, every time I see the church doing this, I'm like, boy, you guys could do it better <laughs> <laughs> as a, as a, as a professional yeah. educator here, let me show you how to do that. Right.
1: Ooh, that's good. Yeah. Well, you know, something that came in my mind that was kind of odd because I'm not so, um, pro this, but I wonder sometimes what tools do we use to help each other measure our progress, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: right? Like not a report card per se, Mm -hmm. but it was just something that. some sort of an assessment, right? It just kind of spoke to me when I was thinking about this conversation and I was like, huh, is there something we can glean from, which I also could go on a whole different rant about how we grade because I'm totally against it. (laughs) How <laughs> against, grading? Ha- oh, okay. ha- against grading okay not against grading but against the current grading yes. system oh, all right. yeah cool. oh my gosh all right so but it just made me start to think wow because I know like right now I'm, I'm in a small group leading a small group mm. and we're trying to hold each other accountable we're trying to connect and the importance of feedback and I watched you give feedback in a in a situation the other day and it was golden mm. um So I think, I think that the teacher world is, they do that. I think that, you know, when I think about my experiences, I had a varied experience level in that. But um, like I implemented a program, a peer evaluation program at my last school where it was just teachers that would go in and visit. They, there was no administration that would go. You would set it up on your own and then you'd meet for coffee and kind of just chat about like, they'd say, Hey, come in and watch this lesson. What could I do better? What did I nail, you know? And so I'm thinking in the church, like, is there more of an opportunity for that, you know, that won't make people run away? Right. You know, like if you're, and I know there are like spiritual directors and um, there are one-on-one scenarios where that's definitely going on, but like, I don't have that. I guess I'm seeking that personally right now. So it's making me think, how do we do that?
0: Yeah, no, I think that that's, um, I I would say that that's something that I see as lacking in the church. Um, I would, I would even say that I see it as lacking in our church. Um, although we're aware of it and we're trying to address <laughs> it, <laughs> but, but, uh, but this would be a much longer conversation. So I won't, I won't, I won't tell you that story. Um, although you, you would be interested in it, um, <laughs> But the the short version is just that in order to even assess somebody's progress, you have to have clearly articulated goals, right right? Um, and I think we we haven't always we don't always do that very well in the church. Um, and even when we do have clearly articulated goals, oftentimes, We have, so there's like, there's your, your stated values and then your real values, you know, and there's your, like your stated goals and then your real goals. And so I think, you know, if, if the mission of the church is to teach people how to follow Jesus and to become more like him and to live lives that are, are, you know, reflect his life, um, then, you know, like, I think we could point at some measurables around that. Like, well, what is, you know, what was Jesus' relationship with God like? How did he relate to people? How did he see himself? What was his character like? How did he handle money? How did he handle, you know, whatever. Like there's things that we could point at and say, oh, okay. Like that's some sort of a metric that we could then assess our lives on. And, um, you know, like what, what, how would we go about doing that assessment? You know, like you're not going to get a report card on your, I don't know, whatever your your generosity this week or something, but still at the same time, you could certainly find creative ways to have, you know, peer interactions or coaching interactions with people that are helping you to assess yourself in those areas. But I think oftentimes while we might say that those are the things that we want to do in the church, I think our mission often, the, the unstated, but actual mission is, I need to grow the organization and we need to get more people to show up and we need to do things that make people, you know, feel like their needs are met so that they'll just keep coming. Um, And that actually can really undercut the, what is the mission from God's perspective of the church. And maybe like an analog to that in the school system would be, you know, like administrators who are pushing for enrollment or something like that. And it ends up like subverting the actual educational process Right. In, 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 in doing so. Um, but I think that you have a lot of those challenges in the church. Um, but, but, but to come back to your point, I think that question of assessment in the church of like, how do we actually assess, are we assessing and how are we assessing, you know, what we're saying is the goal of, of our, of, of the church, which is a form, a formation goal an educational goal. uh, Yeah. I think that's super helpful.
1: Yeah. No, no, that just struck me. You know, like hmm. But it's one of the, I mean, you, yeah, you got to, you got to work it out, mm-hmm. you know, ask the right questions, figure out how to do that.
0: My phone has been going off the whole time. <laughs> I'm so sorry. The, the, one of them was my daughter and I did have to text her back, but this is someone in a person, I don't know. I don't have to text them back. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. Um, are there, are there other things that you would say in the church we can learn from teachers or from schools about?
1: Well, I think that whole student-centered thing, mm. like I, something when I was thinking about this, I'm like, I know that um, pastors or church staff, you know, you kind of plan out what you're going to preach. And right. And I understand that that's driven by the Holy Spirit and praying and figuring all that out. At least out. that's what we say. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Hello. Um, but I also think... You know, like I said, an administrator needs to be in the classroom and have Mm. boots on the ground and know what's going on. Having been in so many of these strategic planning meetings that were not so strategic. Right. You can get so far up here in the planning that you forget the purpose or you're not listening to the people that know what it is that, you know, what, what do they, the needs, right? So that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, does it happen in the church? I'm sure it does. And when it does, how do you correct that? You know, because as a teacher, on the lower level and a teacher, on a teacher's level, you can self-correct. You know, mm-hmm. like you're in your classroom and you could be like, wait a minute. They are not getting this. Yeah. It doesn't matter what my, you know, um sequence you know where my planning calendar says we need to stay right here right now and i would think that's even more important in the church yep if you really know what's happening with the people and you're like wait a minute you know or and i you know what about those times when you're like i mean i've scrapped a whole lesson and been like this is not right this is not it for today right and uh, again looking at church man i can really see how that could happen Right. You know, it's happening in my small group because I plotted out this perfect plan and calendar, and we were going to study this on this day. Boom, 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 boom. And then I really started paying attention to the people in my group. Right. What do they need? I was like, that's not what they need. Yeah. So we kind of flipped it, switched it around, you know? Yep. And they're kind of driving. And it, and it was sort of like an aha moment for me because I'm like, oh, I'm the self proclaimed student-centered teacher, and yet I hit the ground running not like that. So it was was good for me, Mm -hmm. and I found that out by asking for feedback.
2: Yep.
0: No, that's that's super helpful. I think (laughs) if we're not asking for feedback, we're just admitting that we don't actually take our stated goals all that seriously.
1: Yeah, and like who are your... Who are your boots on the ground people? Like you have your team, your leadership team. Like I think about my last school. It always bugged me that the leadership team did not have a faculty rep on it.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah, that's weird.
1: Right? So likewise, I feel like, yeah, you have people from the church. I'm assuming that you're getting vibes from or information from. um, Because that's critical. Yeah. You no, know, it didn't make sense to me, and I kept asking for that. And like, have a person in there, and don't keep it the same person all year. Rotate them in and out.
0: No, yeah, that's to good. get
1: different perspectives about, you know, what are they seeing over in this department? What are they seeing in this grade level? And just to keep that pulse, you know,
0: yeah, for sure. Well, and so you and I talked a little bit about the importance of a learner centered education before we started recording. But from your perspective, what? Like, what does that mean, and and why it is it why is it important, and what happens if you don't do that? Like, if you have, and and I mean, I'm thinking more specifically within the context of church. Yeah. So, if you can give if you can give examples in the church, that's great. But you can give examples from school if you want.
1: Well, I mean, I think well, I think it's super crucial in church. Um, again, recognizing what the needs are, or from a from a standpoint of not just spiritual needs, but, um, yeah, if I think about student-centered in the church, well, even I was thinking about, you know, that um, Sister Act movie, that Mm -hmm. Whoopi Goldberg.
0: Yeah, that just came up in a conversation with somebody recently. I'm trying to remember who or why, but, yeah.
1: And the reason that came to my mind was, like, People heard the excitement, you know, they heard what was going on in there. Mm-hmm. And the doors were open and they just kept trickling in. That's like my favorite scene, mm-hmm. you know? And you even talked about the hook and like engaging people. And I think to be student centered in the church, we need to be paying attention to what motivates the people in the seat, what excites them, what makes them crave more from the style of worship that you're doing from um, hmm. the so much bigger than the content, you know, but content's yeah. Im, it's important. Right. Like you want to be studying what they want to study, but why do they want to study that? I still hmm. go back to that. Um, yeah. I'm just thinking about creativity and energy and, What can we do to make them want to come back and learn more? And that's so, that's what's so important in the classroom, right? We said that in the very beginning, what makes them want to come back. And yeah, and I think about our, like our kids ministry that's kicking off, Mm -hmm. you know, and we're really using that to reach the parents too, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, like we're trying to trickle some of that in and fostering that excitement down on that level and the parents are coming down and I think they're feeling that yeah. energy. Um I don't know, it's exciting. It's just exciting. So I think you have to pay attention to well not always especially not doing the same thing, right? Yeah. That's what's boring about school. Yeah. If you go in and you know at you're gonna sit in your same seat, pull out the same book. Take notes, whatever. Um, mixing it up. Just being open to. And I am I think we do that in our church. Let me preface it by saying that. But when you ask me that, I'm like, yeah, I think we just need to. So many things have been changing in our church recently. That's true. Right? Yeah. That I mean, it's, it's been, happening. It's, it's been a happening.
0: year of change. In, and it's been two years of change. Yeah. So, some of that has been you know negative change or unsought after change that's been imposed from without but then also there's been some really intentional changes on the inside that I think are really positive yeah some of that's in response to the chaos of our world but right. some of that's also I think in response to some things that God's leading us to do
1: yeah. yeah i definitely see that so i mean i you know and i i've just been in other churches where i didn't really see that mm. you know where i felt like or i saw it but i wasn't convinced that it was authentic Gotcha. You know. Um and I think that's a big thing about BBC that I do see. Mm. It's it feels really genuine to me and it does draw me in. I said to you in passing the other day, I went home to check all my people and I couldn't wait to get back. And <laughs> it was really to come back to church, honestly. That's
2: cool.
1: Yeah. Mm. Um, so I definitely think that a lot is happening yeah. in that area.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, and I think part of what, um, I do appreciate about our church community is, um, I think there are a lot of authentic people in our community and, um, a lot of people are like bringing, they're engaging, they're bringing what they have to offer into the community, you know? And I think that, that like that speaks to, you know, what you were calling a student-centered approach to education that, you know, like to a certain degree, you're not just letting the students run the classroom because there is, there is a goal that you have, um, for them as a teacher, you know, your, your job is to, you know, if it's a math class, like you got to learn some math, you know what I mean? Or if it's history class, like there's some history that you have to learn, but also to, there's some joke, I can't remember the whole joke, but the pun, it's a, it's about a preacher who like, can't get the, can't get a the congregation to really learn what he's teaching them. And the, like the punchline is something like, well, if they don't, if they don't hear you the first time, just preach it louder. And if that doesn't work, just pound the pulpit, you know, something like that. And it's like that. I mean, that's, that's a poor, you know, strategy for teaching or preaching. It doesn't, that's not how that works. You really do have to actually, you know, like this, this student is not very passionate about what I'm teaching them. Well, there's something wrong with the student. No, actually maybe there's something wrong with the teacher Um, or with the curriculum or, you know, and again, that doesn't mean that the student gets to choose the curriculum completely, but you can't ignore the student either. You have to actually, because the goal is to take the student somewhere. Right. That's the goal. And so I think like when you look at our church community, you have a lot of people who like they brought themselves into the equation intentionally. And so it makes it a lot easier for that to happen. You know, when people are showing, you know, when you have students that are showing up in the class who are like, yeah, I'm, I've got some questions or I'm here to learn, or I have, you know, I want to help shape the, the the classroom environment, you know, then it's, then as a teacher, it's like, I mean, it's back again, I can't remember if we were talking about this before, after we started recording, but that whole culture thing, you know, like when you have a culture, so, you know, when you have a student show up to the school who doesn't really like to read, but he walks in and 17 of his classmates are kicking their shoes off and reading He's probably going to go, oh, maybe I should try it. Right. You know, and so now you have a culture that's working in your favor instead of working against you.
1: Mm, Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, um, helping shape the classroom. Yeah, I think think we see a lot of that. Yeah, to your point, like not just coming in and being a student either, but being actively engaged. And like that speaks to the education world, like hands-on learning, right? Mm -hmm. You can learn more if you touch it, feel it you know, hear it, see it, you know, manipulate it. And I think a good, you know, a lot of ways that especially our church does that is by getting involved in the community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And that's when, I mean, some legitimate learning of how Jesus truly acted. That's when that happens. And I love that about this church. And I mean, the farm is its Mm -hmm. own huge example of that, you know, um, so I think that we get it right. The church, this church specifically, gets it right with the hands-on yeah. getting there. And now our small groups are starting back up. It sounds like an <laughs> ad for our church, but right. I like that. That's good. But, you know, it's true. And then because when I look at our small group leadership meetings, all of the groups are so different. Oh, yeah. Because each of the leaders is bringing that right whatever to the table. Mm-hmm. And that struck me the other day. I was like, wow, <laughs> this is... This is student centered, right? Yeah. Like because ultimately we're we're your students, you know, we're mm. we're well, you know what I mean? Like we're part of the part of the team that's learning and growing. And I think that's what the church does, right? Like you train and develop your other people to reach the people and it's like we're all the hands and the feet. And yeah. um us having that time together that we do right. to like talk to one another and learn and grow and then those meetings are going to, be, are going to become more training-type meetings from time to time. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah, no, you know? it is.
0: I love all that. Yeah. It's a lot of fun.
1: It is so much <laughs> fun. And it's so cool mm. to hear about all the different things going on. Yeah. No,
0: that is cool. Well, so this list of questions that I sent you, I haven't really actually looked at it while we've been talking. Isn't so isn't that so
1: cool? That, right?
0: Yeah. I, to- I told you here we're going to talk about these questions, and then I didn't ask any of them. What... Uh, yeah, is there anything anything we should talk about before we quit talking? Let me
1: see if there was anything in here. Something um, that
0: you are like, ooh, yeah, I want to share this, or I want to ask this, or I want to think about this.
1: Oddly enough, I think we hit on a lot of it, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah. So my list of what's wrong with our school is so long. <laughs> I'm glad we didn't I didn't get to perseverate on that. Problem number twenty seven A. It's really bad. That was good for me though, to kind of think about that. Yeah. Um I have a long list too. But no, like, you know, when I went back, you asked me to look at my philosophy and I was like, you know, so oftentimes, um, in education especially, I think, it's you can come up with this grand plan, what right. it's supposed to look like, and which I really think speaks to the big problem of what's wrong with the system, but I won't go back to that, is because you, you have to get real with what what you can actually do. Yeah. Um, and it's so easy to get so off the grid on that, but... You know, I went back and I looked at it and it was like, well, what was important to me? So it was kind of like a, a self-reflective opportunity. You know, did I live out this paper? I got an A on this paper, but did I do it? You know what I mean?
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so it was like, I looked at it and it said, um, you know, I believe education be a, should be approached with zeal and enthusiasm. Mm. That's true for school. That's true for church. Right. Right. Um, Why does student- that matter? Because if not, it's, it's going to have an impact it had on you, too. You're going to be like, well, this is no fun. I don't like this. This is boring. Why, why do I, what am I getting out of this, right? So if the
0: teacher's not and, excited about this, then neither am I.
1: Right. I really think that plays a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Or at least excited about something. No teacher can come to school every day on fire every single day. But you should try. Mm. You should try. Um, I think... Yeah, I think you should try. I think you should be excited about what you're doing, you know, and if if you're not excited about being in that room with those kids, then you shouldn't be in there. Yep. Honestly, and that right. speaks to a whole other problem that we have. <laughs> <laughs> Student-centered, we already talked a lot about that because that was mm. in my philosophy, right? Yeah. And the whole coaching part, I think the church gets that right too. Like we should be, it shouldn't be this top-down, you know. It should be we're beside each other and we're learning together. We're growing together. And we can all glean something from each other's experiences. And the Bible can, you know, the principles in the Bible can guide us and Jesus' actions can direct us in how to get through it. But it's that coaching, that, you know, whatever you want, you know, discipleship, I guess, but like just being beside each other. Teachers should be like that too, Kids in the classroom shouldn't feel like, you know, it's that Charlie Brown voice in the background. <laughs> yeah, right? It shouldn't feel like that. Um, and, you know, I said in my classroom I wanted to help foster character traits to embrace diversity, foster respect, and cultivate relationships. And I really think that I made that a priority. You did it. I I did. I tried. Yeah. I tried. I know I tried. Mm-hmm. I didn't forget it. Um, and then really clear and constant communication skills is critical in teaching, critical in everything, right? Yes. Whether it's with each other, your colleagues, right. to your administrator, to your students, to your all the stakeholders, to your parents. Yep. And, and I, that's another thing I think that BBC is getting right. Mm. We've got these Trying. emails coming out yeah. with information. Like if you don't know something, you need to go back and look again because mm. it's coming, yeah. Coming through and I and I really appreciate that. Well the
0: trick is we just um put uh Mark in charge of it and then he <laughs> put Elena in charge of it.
1: Yeah, Elena rocks. So yeah, I'm giving so. a shout out for her. So yeah. Mm. Those were all my things. And I was like, okay, I would give myself like a B plus. I think I tried. <laughs> yeah. I tried.
0: And, and had some success. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Uh anything else we should we should talk about? Education, the church, faith.
1: You should never stop wanting to learn. Yeah, you know I think a teacher's number one goal should be to really make lifelong learners. Yeah, in whatever capacity that means.
0: Another another way of saying that is, um, we certainly as Christians we should be curious about the world we live in.
1: Absolutely. Right? Like that's, that's
0: another way of saying we should be lifelong learners. I'm
1: so glad you said that because I had that word curiosity Mm. in my notes. It's huge. Yeah. That's the driving force.
0: Yeah. Well, and like you said, if you're not zealous and use another word too excited or something like that, but if you're not like zealous in the classroom as a teacher, you have to acknowledge that there's something wrong. And I would say if we're not constantly living in a state of awe and curiosity mm-hmm. as christians then we have to acknowledge there's something wrong yep. you know like wait a minute what are, yep what's going on here that i'm not like i should be experiencing things that make me go whoa what's that about on a right. regular basis yeah, yeah totally cool all right well thanks for uh <laughs> thanks for hanging out and talking this was Thank fun you. all right 242 is a podcast of Buffalo Vineyard Church in Buffalo, New York. Learn more about who we are and get in touch with us at buffalovineyard.org. We'd love it if you'd subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave us a rating. Thank you for listening.